You're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. I'm a fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic surgeon who specializes in knee replacement. Here I'll talk to you about common knee complaints and other orthopedic issues. We'll cover other important health-related topics, all of which are meant to helpfully answer some of your questions and help improve the quality of your life. Thanks for listening, and on with the next episode. Hello, welcome back. This is Adam Rosen, and you're listening in to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. So in today's episode, what I want to actually do is um, talk about, mention, thank um, residents. It was actually Residence Week um, about a week ago, um, and a lot of times I find patients, they're not really sure, they don't really understand the difference between a medical student, an intern, a resident, a fellow. Like, what does that mean? What is their level of training? What can they do? What can't they do? You know, should you see someone that teaches residents? Should you not see someone? So I'm going to give you the inside scoop on what they are. And I'm going to tell you a lot of stuff that happens actually behind closed doors. Um, so you have a good understanding. And I think most importantly, so you know what the right questions are to ask if you're being cared for by a doctor that teaches, you know, young doctors or doctors in training. So let's talk about sort of the basic sequence, right? So you go to college, you get your four-year undergraduate degree. Now, most people will do it in some form of a science like biology um, because there are certain classes that you need to meet the criteria for applying to medical school, and most of them obviously are in the sciences. So you can get a major in anything. It just means that you have to take all the classes for your major plus all of the science classes and then sit for what's called your MCATs. It's kind of like your SATs for college, your MCATs for medical school. And after that whole application process, you get into medical school. And for most medical schools, the first one and two years of the four-year program are classes, you know, the the classic gross anatomy where you dissect a cadaver, a person that's given their body to science, and you take all the classes on pharmacology and physiology and anatomy and, you know, the subspecialty things with cardiology, pulmonology, orthopedics, general surgery, urology, I mean, you name it, they go through all of that for two years. Now, most of the time, they'll start their clinical rotations in their third and fourth year. So if you're in the hospital at a teaching institution, you may meet a medical student. So a medical student is not yet a doctor. They are usually a third or fourth year medical student that is there to learn. So you may see them and they may come in and ask you a lot of questions and take a history and examine you. And then they will report back to their, typically their resident. And then the resident, you know, with the medical student presents to the attending. And this whole thing starts the process of caring for you. Now, also, a lot of the unsung heroes are the nurses. The nurses, when I was a medical student and an intern and a resident, the nurses are great because they're there eight, 12 hours a day. You know, the attendings may come and go. They may have other places, hospitals, and offices to go. You know, the nurses are the ones that go, are you sure you want to order this? I think you should order that. And when they tell you that, it's because they know what they're doing. They're not going to let you harm their patient. Um, And they're also going to teach you at the same time. So the nurses are a huge part of the learning process for a lot of young doctors, interns, and residents, which is why I always tell the the young people in training, like, be nice to the, the nurses. They're actually there to help you, and they're going to keep you out of trouble. So w- when you meet these people, sometimes I think the frustration is you explain your whole story to the medical student, and then lo and behold, they talk to the resident, and now the resident comes back. And guess what? They're going to ask you all the same questions. And that's where patients start to get a little frustrated because then the resident goes to the attending, 
and they present your case, and now the attending comes in, and guess what? He's going to ask you a whole lot of the same questions. And it is important because sometimes things are quite obvious, right? Like if you broke your leg and the bone's sticking out of the skin, there's not a whole lot. How'd you fall? How'd you injure it? You know, what's your medical history? You need to have surgery. Um, But when people come in with other diseases and symptoms, sometimes it's actually a good thing to be asked the same questions because sometimes the medical student, the intern, the resident, the doctor may ask you similar questions, but in a different way. And sometimes you may actually answer in a different way. And that may actually help lead them to an appropriate diagnosis. Um, but I always tell people, you know, if, if you're really uncomfortable and you really don't like the process, you know, y- you can say, listen, I really don't feel well. Um, I, I really have a problem or I have a place to go. I don't have time. You know, I, I would love to just, this, these are my basic symptoms. Can you just go talk to your attending resident and then can we do this together? Um, so, you know, you're the patient and, and I think sometimes patients feel a little afraid to speak up sometimes in the healthcare institution. Um, so definitely kind of step up and, and just let them know what you're feeling and how you're feeling. Um, residents are there for a long time. So depending on the residency, it may be an extended period. So you've done your four years of medical school now, and then you have a year of internship, and then you have residency. So things like anesthesia, dermatology, emergency medicine, family practice, most of those are around three years. So now the doctor has done an additional three years of training. General surgery, orthopedics, urology, around five years. Neurosurgery, seven years. So guess what? So most of these docs now are coming out with most studies are showing a quarter of a million dollars in debt because they've gone to undergrad and now they've gone to medical school and they've taken out loans to do so. And most of them are making fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a year. Most of them are working 80 hours a week and take off maybe two weeks for vacation, 50 weeks a year, 4,000 hours um, a year of work. Um, and that's a lot, you know, and then if you do like orthopedics and that's five years, that's, you know, 20,000 hours, you know, of work. So that's a lot. And they're there to learn. And guess what? Yep you're one of the ways that they learn. You know, they learn from talking and teaching and reviewing and x-rays and videos and books and journals, you know, but at the end of the day, it's still an apprenticeship. Um, So the residents and the fellows are there to learn. So what if you finish residency and now maybe you're going somewhere, like we work with fellows where I am, and you're meeting a fellow. What is a fellow? Okay, so a fellow is a doctor. So once you've graduated from medical school, you're a doctor. Um, but you've completed your residency to be subspecialized in some specialty like orthopedics. And now you decide maybe I want to do a subspecialty training here. So in orthopedics, you can do a fellowship in spine. You can do a fellowship in sports. You can do a fellowship in foot and ankle. You can do a fellowship in total joint replacement. So now you're meeting people that are in an additional year of training. So they've done their residency. They actually could go out and practice orthopedics and be a surgeon, but they've chosen to subspecialize in a particular niche. And the people that we work with, they work in total joint replacements. So at this point, you're wondering, well, you know, do I go to a teaching hospital or do I not? You know, because there's always discussions and talks and there's some studies, you know, yes, teaching hospitals have a higher complication rate. You know, July is when these rotations for interns and residents start. The complication rates higher. August is when fellows start. The complication rates higher. And there's also been a lot of studies that have actually shown that's not true. And it's actually the opposite. Um, so I always tell people, like, don't feel that you're getting second-class care by going to a teaching center. You know, again, there are people there that are overseeing all of these trainees, um, 
And sometimes I find that these training programs, you know, have a very, very high level of expertise in some of these complicated things. Why? Because we're teaching people. So if you're teaching people, you're constantly on your toes. You know, I find a lot of people that teach find that they're learning as much as they're teaching because, you know, people that are learning are asking questions and you got to keep up with the times and you got to read. You'll meet some docs that are maybe really, really good. They've been doing it for 20 years at a community hospital and, you know, they're doing it the same way they were taught 20 years ago in residency. You know, they haven't been sort of up to date. You know, people are sometimes saying, hey, I want to go somewhere where the newest and greatest technology is. Not that new and great technology is always the best. Sometimes we find out that new and improved really wasn't actually that that much better once it's been out for a while. Um, but your exposure to all of that stuff um, is on a regular basis because we're teaching people. So you may meet residents and you may meet fellows. Now, if your provider that you're going to see does work with residents and fellows, you know, you want to ask some questions if you're not comfortable. So um, how long has the resident or fellow been with you? Is this their first day? Is this their first week on the rotation? And that's a reasonable question to ask, you know, because if someone's been there for six months or a year, you know, that that surgeon in training, um, that young doctor has worked with this attending for a while and they know their ins and outs and, you know, they understand how things are done. If it's their first day, you know, they're still learning the ropes. And then, you know, you want to ask, well, you know, are they there? Are they going to participate in my surgery and my procedure? You know, are they going to do things in the office like give injections? And they're all reasonable questions to ask. I think one of my mentors who who said it best in our world, in our arena, which is total knee replacements, you know, explained to people that, yes, I have residents there and we have an additional assistant or tech at the table. And basically it's six hands plus the scrub tech. So eight hands doing your operation. And it requires these eight hands to complete the surgery well. And whether or not the resident's hands are on the cutting block or the retractors or your leg and my hands are on the saw or the drill or putting the implant in or vice versa. You know, maybe I'm holding the block and the resident has the saw. All of those things are being orchestrated the way that I want them done, the way that I feel is best for you and your care. So it's not as if someone's standing across the room and looking from afar because that's, you know, sometimes when mistakes can occur. But again, it still is a learning process. So I kind of tell people that, you know, you don't want any residents and you think it's bad. Well, guess what? If a resident doesn't have an apprenticeship or a fellow doesn't have an apprenticeship with somebody standing right next to them while they do these procedures and then they go out and practice, guess what? That's even more dangerous because there's nobody overseeing what they're doing. So it really is good to have this long training program because they get to work with people side by side in real time to teach them and show them how to do things properly and how to do things well to prevent them from getting into trouble. Now, the other hard part is, you know, well, you know, is the attending there for the whole case or are they there for just what's called the critical aspects of the case? So that's a reasonable question to ask. You know, ask the doctor, are you there for the whole thing? Are you there when I come in the room? Are you there when I wake up from anesthesia? You know, are you there just for portions of the surgery? Are you there when, you know, they do the bone cuts, put the implants in? Are you there for the whole closure? Some doctors are there for the whole time. You know, some doctors are there for what they consider the critical aspects of the case. Do you run more than one room? You know, and, and that's something that has come up from time to time. You've heard in the media, you know, doctors running different rooms. 
and that's an important question to ask. You know, if, if you have multiple trainees and you're running two or more rooms, you know, the question that as a patient you want to know is, well, are you in my room for the whole case? And what if there's a complication? And, you know, are you in the next room? Can you come back and forth and things like that? So that's, again, reasonable questions to ask. You know, there are some hospitals, um, and you hear about these sometimes in the news where, you know, the trainees are doing surgeries with zero oversight. You know, doctor's not even in the hospital or doctor's upstairs in his office. So, you know, they're doing things without anybody being there. You know, and there's other hospitals where the, the doc is always in the room for the whole thing. I can't tell you what's right and what's wrong. I can't tell you what's best and what's worst. You know, I know for me, I'm always in the room from the beginning when the patient enters because I'm helping set up the room and I'm there till the last stitch is thrown and the patient's awakened from anesthesia on the stretcher um, because I find that's times where I can teach other things, not just the operation, but how to set the room up and how to put the dressings on and you know making sure that all those things are taken care of. But they're all reasonable questions to ask. If you are going to see someone, you can see somebody in private practice, understand that they don't have interns and residents and fellows they probably still have other people working with them. So they have PAs or what's called a physician assistant. Reasonable questions. Does your PA work with you in the operating room? How long have they been with you? Are you there for the whole case? Does the PA do anything by themselves? Some places have what's called RNFAs, registered nurse first assists. Some hospitals just have what's called OR scrub techs. You know, what is what is the group doing? What are the people doing? What are the responsibilities of all of those parties? Because each of those people are an extension of your doctor. They're an extension of your surgeon. You know, at the end of the day, it is the surgeon's responsibility. It is the captain of the ship. It is the one that is responsible for all parties involved, including both the patient and all the other people that are involved in that patient's care. So you just want to make sure that, you know, your doctor um, is aligned with your thoughts and your wishes and you understand, you know, what their responsibilities are and when they're there and when they're not there. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to take care of you, the patient. But also at the end of the day is to train doctors because in the future we need more doctors. As the older doctors retire, the newer doctors are going to take care. And you don't want the doctor coming in without any experience in what they're doing. So this is stuff that I'm not sure many people want to talk about and want to share, but it's the reality. And, you know, like you've heard on some of my other talks, um, I am very upfront and I am very honest. I will tell you what it is and how it is. And I'd like to share that information with you because I want you and I like my patients to be informed. But sometimes people don't know what the questions are that they're supposed to ask. So hopefully I've shared with you some questions that you may ask if you're seeing a doctor, if you're going to a hospital, if you're going to have surgery. And if you're in a teaching hospital or a non-teaching hospital, you know, what are some of the questions that you want to ask just to make sure that you get the best care that you can possibly get. So in the meantime, stay safe. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please share this with your friends. Um, if you have the time, please leave a review. It's reviews like yours that help other people like you find this podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. This way you'll keep updated and get downloads of all the newest uh, episodes once they come out. Until next time, I'm Adam Rosen. And thanks, you've been listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. Thanks for listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. 
I'm your host, Adam Rosen, and until next time, stay safe.